So if you want to grab your message notes, you can turn them over. We have this week and next week in our all-in message series. And we're asking a very simple question. What would it look like if we intentionally, every one of us, every disciple of Jesus, what would it look like if we intentionally just took a further step in? Maybe not just one. What if we took a couple steps? So we've been looking at some different areas of Christian life, discipleship, and saying, what would it look like if this Easter we decided that no holding back? Maybe there was a season in your life when you really used to press in, but it's been a while. What if we regenerated? What if we recharged those batteries and we decided to go further in? And today I want to walk you through one of the most powerful things about being a disciple. One of the most powerful things about being a disciple. In fact, it's so powerful that the enemy of your soul, who understands its power probably more than you do, fights this, I believe, maybe more than any other dynamic in the Christian life. I believe the potential in our subject today is so great for your transformation, for God's glory, for good in this earth, for good in your family. It's so powerful, its potential is, that the enemy fights it perhaps more than any other dynamic that you can be a part of. You understand this principle of warfare, don't you? Even if you don't know spiritual things. That if you're in a war, you go for the most strategic, the most powerful, the most potent enemy territory that perhaps could bring you the most damage. You go to those areas and you take them out, trying to leave then an anemic and sick force with which you have to fight. And this is what the enemy does with our subject today. And the Bible talks about it, the New Testament talks about it all over the place. It's the power of community. The old timers in church used to call it the power of fellowship. We're going to recapture both those words today, but I actually want to take you back to the original word. It's a lay, a laylon, a laylon. A laylon is the Greek word used over 100 times in the New Testament. It's translated of one another or perhaps each other, one another, together, a laylon. In 54 of the 100 times it's used, it's actually used as a command. The Apostle Paul writes letters to Christians about living out the Christian faith. And with the language of command, he says, you should do life together. You should do life one another. There's a bunch of different categories that this Alelon idea gets posed to us, but 33% of them are really about unity and getting along. 33% of the 54 commands, Alelon, have to do with unity and getting along. It's a big deal because if we bound ourselves together, if we get together, get unified, then the force of all of us together is potent and powerful. Now, you don't have to know church to understand this. Some of you have played sports, and you know what it's like when the team is firing on all eight cylinders, and they are together mobilizing towards the goal line, mobilizing towards the basket, trying to get around the bases together, and they are functioning as a unit. These various pieces coming together, and they function as one, and that's where the phrase teamwork makes the dream work comes from, and you don't have to understand spiritual things, but... That very mechanical thing that you see in team sports plays out in family as well, doesn't it? And I hope you've had seasons in your marriage. I hope if you're not married, you've had the fortune of growing up in a home where on occasion, mom and dad were in such unity that there was a peace 
And there was a general health and enjoyment in the home because two individuals with different wills and goals and ambitions and personalities decided to put that aside and join together in unity. And in a local church, the power of unity cannot be overstated. When a group of people come together and they focus on God's mission for them, incredible things happen. For instance, on a single Sunday morning, when the goal was 100 bags of groceries, we're probably going to get close to doubling that. That's not bad. That's an example of the power of unity on display. On a Saturday morning, 50 very busy people carve out time to go serve their neighbors in need. Now, you can do that any Saturday of your life. You can serve your neighbors in need, and you probably should. But the power and impact of coming together in unity, that's why the Apostle Paul said about one-third of the 54 times he gave the command to disciples to do life with the idea of one another, you should focus on unity. You should do all you can to protect unity. Your unity is sacred. Your unity is powerful. You can do more together than you'll ever do alone. And about 33, about 33%, so we're at 33, now we're at 66%, 33 on unity, 33 of the of the other commands, 33%, are put somewhere around the idea of loving one another. So there's the idea of unity and love. Unity and love. So when Paul's trying to write to the churches, to the disciples about how to do the Christian life, he says there's two big forces. If you want to do this thing well, if you want it to go well, if you want to enjoy the journey, if you want to see it make a difference, you're going to have to understand a certain amount of unity. You're going to have to press into that. It may not come easy. You're going to have to fight for it. And you're going to have to really push into loving one another. Love one another. Like really, do the actions not necessarily have the feelings, but do the actions of love. And it's going to require effort on your part. Now, let me just ask you intuitively. If any group of people get together, sports, your office where you work, your family, just a boyfriend, girlfriend, any group of people get together and they commit to some shared values and practices, that is, they have unity, and they commit to treat each other with honor and respect. Shared mission, shared values, some shared practices, that's unity. And a commitment to treat each other with deep honor and respect. Imagine the change it makes in any group of people. Those of you that have multiple kids in your home, imagine, imagine, imagine. Your kids got together and said, we're going to... Work on unity. Now, let me just, they're never going to do this. But just imagine with me for a second. We're going to work on unity. When it's time to do the chores, we're going to work together. Uh, when it's time to do the homework, we're going to get in sync and we're going to get it done. Uh, when, when it's time to sit for dinner, we're going to commit to make dinner enjoyable for mom, dad, because they've worked hard to make this possible. Would that just change everything? And imagine, let's just go a little bit further in our fantasy world for a second. Imagine that as they were, as they were doing that, they also decided, and while we're doing that, we're going to talk to each other with loving tones. Yeah, the ones that are laughing really hard, they're, in, they're middle school parents. They, they know. They know this ain't happening, right? But we're going to talk to each other loving, and if by chance somebody you know, crosses the line and offends somebody else, we're going to walk with a ready forgiveness for one another. 
I just imagine the change that would happen. Now, believe it or not, that's exactly the kind of ways that a ley line is supposed to be worked out in a disciple's life. We're going to put aside ourselves for the purpose of the mission to which we've been called, our marriage, right? on, a, on a small level, you know, our, our jobs. You're hired for a purpose. We're going to put, and as we do it, we're going to treat each other with honor and dignity and respect as if we really love. So that's about 66%, two-thirds or so of all the commands of a Leilon, of the one another passages. And, and the final bits are divided into several categories. About 15% of them have to do with humility. It's almost as if Paul says, if you're going to do unity and love, you're going to have to not think too highly of yourself. You're going to have to prefer your brother or sister. This is the stuff that makes a group of people function well. This is the oil in relationships. Even people who aren't spiritual, you know that if you have a husband and wife always fighting, always at odds, it's probably not going to go well. And if in addition to that, the way they talk to each other while they're not in, in unity, if that's not happening, you know that it's just, you know, it's not going to end well. So you don't have to be spiritual to understand this dynamic, but... For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about the power of relationships in the body of Christ when it's done well. And as I do that, I'm reminded of the story. One day there were a bunch of sailors and they were out in the ocean doing their thing and they came up on an island that wasn't on the map and they looked through their viewing lenses and saw that on the island there was a, looked like a small town. So they pull up, they get out, they take the little boat over to the island, and sure enough, on this island is a small town, but there doesn't seem to be any people there. So they walk around, and finally they come up on a guy. His name's Bob. They come up on Bob, and they say to Bob, Bob, we didn't even know this island was here, and here there is a whole town, and so tell us what happened. And Bob says, well, years ago, I was marooned here, and I was bored, you know, just wasn't going to do anything with it, but after a few months, decided, heck, I'll just build some stuff. So I built a library and wrote a few books, best I can remember, put them in there. And I built a school because the town needs a school. I built a hospital, and I built a church. And at that point, one of the sailors stopped him and said, well, we noticed that there are two churches. And Bob said, well, I built that first church, but I got to tell you, I don't like those people over there. So I built another church <laughs> over here. You, know, you can't talk about unity and love and the power of community in the body of Christ without at least acknowledging that this stuff's hard to do. You have family members, you have friends, perhaps you have been involved in a church setting and because the things we're talking about today didn't go well for them, there's a whole lot of reasons that might be. Sometimes it's because there wasn't clear unity and people didn't cooperate. Sometimes it was the way they treated each other. Sometimes it was some people too had too high an opinion of themselves. There's a hundred reasons why it may not have gone well. But because it didn't go well, it's left them hesitant. It's left them perhaps a little bruised to step all the way in. For the next few minutes, I just want to dream a little bit with you, a little less extreme than dreaming about middle school people trying to make dinner good for the family. It's a little less extreme than that, perhaps. But I want to dream with you a little bit about what it might be if we got behind the Alelon passages. 
And I've divided them up into five big things, five big things that we need because the truth is, is God's power and community that is offered in the body of Christ, that's what you and I really need to grow. There are two essential ingredients in your growth. The power of God, you can't grow spiritually on your own. It is ultimately the work of the Spirit. You can present yourself to read the scriptures. Like you're just with raw discipline. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes those scriptures alive to you. It's the work of God's grace in you. Even as you present yourself to read the scripture, it's the Holy Spirit that makes those passages powerful in your life. You can literally get on your knees, fold your hands, and say prayers. That activity. You can present yourself in prayer, but it's the work of God's grace in your life. It's God's power that makes prayer effective to change the heart. And so we present ourselves, but God shows up. Every bit of your Christian faith is a work of the grace of God. God's power and the community of the faith, the fellowship, the elelon, the one another. Those two things are essential for your growth. And the, the problem with that equation that God's power plus community equals your growth is, is that there's only one part of that that we really, really love. We, we want them, but we love the grace part, and I do too. But I want to let you know that the New Testament makes it perfectly clear that your growth as a disciple is dependent upon your involvement in community. You can grow, but you will hit a wall. You will be stymied. You will be slowed if you don't not only embrace grace, but embrace the community as well. These two forces work together. That's why a hundred times in the New Testament, one another, each other, Alelon. That's why 54 commands from the Apostle Paul to the churches, Alelon, do this together. Because those two things working together, the power of God and the community of faith, the family of God. And speaking of family, did you realize that you really have two families? And they, they actually work in cooperation in God's plan. You have a biological family that you were born into or you were adopted into. It's the family that raised you. And I'm a huge proponent of family. It's a big deal to me. I mean, if you, if you look at what Jill and I intend to do, our family, our call there comes first to us. But the truth is, is that the Bible says your earthly family is really not all that you have. You actually are a part of, if you're a follower of Jesus, a larger permanent family. Your earthly family has a purpose. It's where kids learn, ultimately, their first impressions about authority it's where kids learn their first impressions about what it means to be loved even while they're imperfect. It's where kids learn ultimately how to interact with each other and work off some of the rough edges. But you know what that's like, don't you? I mean, even as I said those three things, you might have been doing a quick inventory about how your family prepared you to engage life. And I bet you it's a mixture, like for everybody else, it's a mixture of some good things and some bad things. I bet your family's like mine. A pretty good family, but certainly not perfect. That's your earthly family. But you have another family. You have a spiritual family that is the larger, more permanent family. The earthly family is going to pass away. It does. People pass away. 
relationships come to an end, if by nothing else, just by the sheer reality of death. But your spiritual family, the Bible tells us, your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's going to last for eternity. In some ways, when God wants to do his work in the world, what, is he, what he has always done is he has started with the local family. He started with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you and your kids. And through you and your kids, I'm going to bless the world. The way you do family, Abraham, I'm going to set the world up to receive something by what happens in your family. Pretty cool. But ultimately, what God was looking at through Abraham was not just Abraham's biology. He was looking at Abraham's spiritual family. So that when you get to the New Testament, here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans. That even those of us that don't have Abraham's DNA... Like we're not sons and daughters of Abraham. Even, we are grafted in. We're part of that family because the spiritual family is bigger and it's permanent. It's almost like the earthly family gives us practice to think about what a really healthy and beautiful and well put together family should look like. Your earthly family gives you a chance to think about, I wonder what if family was done perfectly, I wonder what it would look like. And you're going to get a lot of chances to do that. Some of you that are older adults like I am, you remember thinking, like through your late teen years and early 20s, that you're going to do family different than the family you were raised in? And do you remember just a few years later how you remember waking up one morning and thinking, gosh, I sound just like my dad? You remember that? There are two arguments I never thought I'd have in my house. Made a vow I'd never have them. One was, it used to start like this, who touched the thermostat? That's how it started in the house I grew up in. Who touched the thermostat? You know how many times I've had that argument in my house? A lot. So much so that I put an electronic thermostat on with a password in my house. If you come now, you can't change the temperature. Only I can. It's power, and I have it, and I'm not letting it go. All right. That's my dad. That's my dad. Here's, here's the other one. How much toilet paper do you really need? We had discussions about this, and I never thought I'd ever have one. I've had them. I've had them. Your earthly family gives you a chance to kind of practice and figure out and think deeply about, I wonder what a really well-done family would look like. And then as you come to know Christ, as you receive his salvation, and you step into his family, you didn't just get Jesus, you got the family too. When you came to Jesus, it gives you a chance then to try to think more deeply about this other family and how it should go. And when we do that, man... It just makes our spiritual family go better. But it's no more easy than trying to make your regular family go better, your earthly family. It's hard. It's just a hard thing to do. So here's five big things that I want you to think about to help motivate you why it is you need a Lelon, why you need a one another, why you need community, the fellowship, your spiritual family. Number one, I'll just talk about me for a minute. I need others to walk with me. That's your first point. I need others to walk with me. It's just the way it is. The the truth of the matter is, is that you and I were not designed to do life alone. At the beginning, there was one man, Adam, and the thing that was said about him, the qualifying statements made about Adam is, it's not good for man to be alone. So God made for him a helpmeet, a companion, a partner. You were not made to be alone alone. Now, I'm not talking about married and single right now. I'm talking about the internal desire and the 
wiring we all have to not do life in a solitary fashion. Whether you're married or single, you need relationships. And your spiritual family gives you an opportunity to have them. But you know the problem with relationships, don't you? It's the people. Yeah, the problem with relationships is the people. They're great on paper until you meet the people. But God has designed it such that you and I were designed to walk with others. And the truth is, is, is I need others on my walk. So do you. In Ephesians 2, I go to it very often. Chapter uh, 2, verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. In the Lord and in him, you two are being built together Alelon, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, when you think about church, church is not a building. A building is often where the church meets. The church is not an institution. Although sometimes we think about keeping the organization running. Those are valid. The church is a family. In fact, it's as we come together. You by yourself are not the church. It's when you come together as a family that the church is actually being lived out and practiced. It's on display. So yeah, you can go to heaven and never go to a building. You can go to heaven without being part of an institutional church. But you miss out if you are given to solitary Christianity. You miss out on the dynamics of your growth and you miss out on so much that there is to offer. In walking with Jesus, I need people to walk with me. Can I tell you something? Loneliness is rampant in our world, even married people. Junior high kids in relationships. College kids trying out the dating slash non-dating slash hanging out slash hookup thing. They're lonely. This is not a new phenomenon. The apostles of Pop, the Beatles, you know, Peter and Paul and Ringo, those guys. I don't think Peter was in there, but you get it. They wrote a song, you know, you know the song, Eleanor Rigby? You remember this one? If you don't, maybe do Eleanor Rigby. It's all a song about the lonely people. Ah, look at all the lonely people. And what's interesting about that song is the context of Eleanor Rigby is it's about Father McKenzie in the church, he's a priest, and he's darning his socks. That's what he's doing with his time. He has all the pretense of being together with this group of people, but he's very alone. And then the refrain kicks in, ah, all the lonely people. Can I tell you what the antidote to loneliness is? It's a laylon. It's one another. I don't just need people. I get the joy of walking through my journey of faith with people. In fact, I can't walk the full journey without them. It's how we interact. It's how we encourage. It's how we actually bump up against each other and the friction sometimes that's created that actually brings to me the life that God wants me to have. God's not trying to provide you a life that is easy and smooth. He's trying to provide you a life that develops and grows you. And this is why the enemy of your soul will say, it's not worth it to walk with people. They're too much hassle. It's too painful. Because he knows if he can convince you that it's not worth it, then you'll step away from one of the essential ingredients in your growth. 
That's why he fights churches so much. That's why he fights families so much. That's why he fights friendships so much. He wants to keep them shallow. Let them be functional, but don't let them be impactful. But the truth is, is we need each other. And a Lelon is God's answer to loneliness. It's where you can actually love people and be loved back. You can know people and they can know you, like know you, really know you. One of my favorites, you can celebrate other people and they can celebrate you back. You can, Alelon, carry one another's burdens. You can, Alelon, encourage one another even as you see the day of God approaching. You can do this together, but we've got to get a little comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's what people do. They're different than you. They think different than you. They have a different background than you. They express their goals differently than you. God has made it clear he's put different gifts in them than you have. But he's designed it such that you can't get where you want to go without them. And this is why as a pastor, I so want you to like regularly come together as a church. Lift your voices from all your different experiences of the week, of the month, of your life. Lift your voices in one solitary unifying moment to the great God that we serve. On occasion, rally your efforts and your energy. Give portions of your money away to do great things together. Because together we can do so much more, and together we can actually get where we want to go. Number two, I need others to work with me. I need others to work with me. Again, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork, you're God's masterpiece. We've talked about that. Created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for, and here's our word for today, in advance for us, plural, to do. For you, for we, are God's handiwork together. And it's work that we are called to do. Can I tell you something about this church? This church has always been built on the combination of efforts of multiple people. It's never, ever, nothing good in this church has ever happened because one or two talented people pulled it off. Everything worth talking about in this church's history, almost 15 years, has happened because a group of people got together and said, let's see what God would do with our effort. Let's see how God might bless our engagement on this topic. Let's see if we rally around this problem, what God might do with that. And repeatedly, God showed up and did something, made a masterpiece out of effort. I'll be honest, sometimes it wasn't quite a masterpiece. It was a finger painting. But we still hung it on the refrigerator and celebrated it because God did something with our time, our effort, and our energy. And we did something together. And the enemy of your soul knows that together you'll do more than you'll ever do alone. So guess what he tries to destroy? Your desire to be together. Because he doesn't want that work to be accomplished. He doesn't want you to be a part of it. He doesn't want you to look back on a thing and say, look what we did. I don't know if you ever get the chance to have conversations like that, but, but I do on occasion. So not in this church, in another church in which I serve, because God doesn't waste anything. I had a partner in a particular ministry endeavor. Let me tell you how important this ministry was. We were literally on two different ladders, about four feet apart from each other, and we're hammering nails in a piece of wood because we're taking down a wall in the church, and we're hammering these nails in to put a retaining beam up so that the, when we cut the wall down, the wall doesn't fall. So it's very important work. It didn't feel very spiritual. Honestly, I didn't want to be there. 
And I'm just hammering, and I'm talking to this guy who I had talked to one other time in my life, and he's telling me a little bit about his story. I said, tell me about how you ended up at this church. I'm on staff, so it's a thing you ask a lot. Tell me a little bit. But as he's talking, I just, I don't know, I, I just felt something. So I said, hey, have you ever thought about ministry? And so we're just hammering. We're just talking, just two guys. He's currently driving a fork truck for a, a grocery store, distribution warehouse, and we're just hammering. Have you ever thought about ministry? And I'm just hammering, and I realized after about, I don't know, 30 seconds or so, he's not hammering anymore. And I looked over, and this pretty tough dude's got some tears in his eyes. I said, dude, what, what's wrong? Like, I thought maybe he hit his thumb or something, and he couldn't cuss in front of the pastor. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. So he's got tears in his eyes. He said, why would you ask me that question? I, I don't know. He said, all my adult life, I've thought about doing ministry. Never thought I could. Wanted to, but I've made some mistakes I got some hurts. He unpacked that. Those aren't his words. I'm rushing through it. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to do ministry. So this week I was talking to that guy. So this, this was 30 years ago. This week I was talking to that guy, and he's the campus pastor of a very large church in Tampa right now. And he said, remember that, that conversation we had? He's like, man, I wish I'd have never volunteered for that. I'm a good day's. Like, I'm so grateful for you, and on my bad days, I hate you. But, man, that conversation changed my life. And you work together, and God does surprising things when you work together. One another, by the way, is God's answer to fatigue. A lot of people don't want to do the church life because, you know, it's the classic, you sign up to serve in kids' ministry, and 30 years later, you got cobwebs all over, and you're still in that same classroom. And, you know, once you sign up, what, you, you, you know, it's for life. It was never meant to be that way. You're never meant to be alone serving. You're meant to do it in team. Do it together. The best parts about this church, in my opinion, are the groups of people that gather together to do the work. That's why I love the photos that you saw earlier. I was here this weekend, and there, or on Thursday night, rather, and there were a group of people prepping our, our kids' work. I walked in. They're doing the thing, and there's, you know... 50, 11 people walking, that's a southernism, there's like 50, 11 people walking around doing the work, cutting out stuff. It's really cool when that happens. That team will do more than any one person will ever be able to do. And it's God's answer to fatigue. Typically, when I find a fatigued Christian who's a high-capacity volunteer, they're typically doing so much of themselves and not enough through the team, with the team. A lot of reasons why that happens, but actually one another is God's answer to the fatigue that comes from the burden you carry as a follower of Jesus and the work God's called you to do. Number three, truth is, is I need others to watch out for me. Uh, look at, it, at Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Alelon, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The truth is, is, I'm stronger with people around me. I am. I'm stronger when I get a text from somebody saying, hey, praying for you today, pastor. Appreciate what you're doing. Keep going. It's like... That's like an energy bar to me. That's, a, that's like, you know, slamming a couple of energy drinks and just getting up and keep going. Now, I just do better. You do better. We do better when we got people kind of watching out for us. 
hey, Ben, I, I saw this thing. I thought I'd give you this bit of information. You might want to watch this a little bit more. Man, what a gift when you have people who are interested in you. This is what the family of God is supposed to be. And the truth is, is sometimes we do this well, and sometimes we stink at it. And some of the hurt that happens in church happens because people don't do the watch out for one another thing well enough. But when family is good, when friendship is good, this is exactly what happens. We watch out for each other. We push for each other. Can I tell you, one of the reasons why I want you to invite your friends to this church for Easter is because when you invite someone they show up for Easter, some of them will stay longer. And the truth is, is I know two things are going to happen. One is they're going to have a pretty good day because we aren't going to waste their time. Minimally, they're going to get the gospel and the music's going to be pretty good. Minimally. That's a powerful, potent mix. Let me tell you what else can happen. It's very possible that it's in this place that they'll get to experience some of the Alelon life. Are we going to do it perfectly? Nope. Hang around long enough, I promise you, I will disappoint you. Promise you. But we might do it good enough that some of the Alelon life kicks in, and so they get the power of God working on their behalf, and they get a pretty good church, a pretty good spiritual family, doing pretty good stuff together. Now, depending on their baggage, their hurt, their personality, they may be very hesitant for this. So we're going to do all we can to keep the first steps of engagement low, to let them go at their own pace, to not speak over their heads, to use words, everyday language. We're going to take our time and be slow. But ultimately what we want for them is we want them to know that we are for them, that we are going to walk beside of them, because we know that at the end of the day, one another, Alelon, is the answer to defeat in their life. That together with the family around them, they can go farther. I want your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors to have some Alelon in their life. And you can be a part of that, but together we can do so much more. I never wanted to be a part of a church where I was a hesitant to invite my friends. And I can tell you after 15 years, there's never been a day in the life of this church that I ever thought, I can't invite my friends to this church. They, this church embarrasses me. Now, that wasn't true growing up. Growing up, I was very embarrassed about church. I wouldn't invite any of my friends. Some of that was just teenage foolishness. Part of it was the way we did church was really not all that healthy sometimes. Like our music, it stunk. I won't use the name. She loved the Lord. We had our organist, and she played throughout the service, and she'd kind of lead the service from the organ, like literally be playing, and then she'd like yell out for everybody else to do their stuff. I don't know anything about playing the organ, but I know it shouldn't sound like you have mittens on. I know that. That was kind of how it began. Nothing wrong with it. I like organ music, right? Especially when it's done well. But I wasn't going to invite friends. And then just the way we would do church, the way we would talk to people, you knew if you were a guest and you walked in, you really weren't welcomed. You kind of knew it, and it was kind of true. It was funny. We'd get together and talk about growing, but nobody wants to ever change. Very, very funny. But not here. So I want you to invite your friends here so that we can walk beside them. Number four. I need others to wait and weep with me. I know this sounds weak. I'm a man. I'm not giving you my man card. The truth is, is all of us need people who will be there in the rough seasons. 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Alelon. Be compassionate and humble. One another is God's answer to despair. You're going to go through the valley. It's better to not be alone. It's better to not be alone. In my small group right now on Sunday nights when we meet, at the end, there's prayer time. 
And so last week, I was just not feeling well, like physically, just bleh. So I did something I never do. It meets in our home. I said to Jill, I'm not going downstairs. You guys have group without me. I'm going to bed right now, and I was gone, right? So I was out, love you guys. I needed my sleep. That's where I was. So they did small group downstairs without me. But you know what happened at the end of the time? Like, my wife didn't bring it up because, you know, that would be one thing if she did. But one of the members of the group said, hey, we should pray for Pastor Ben right now. So they had my wife sit there in the middle of the group, put some hands on her, and she kind of sat for me in that place, and they prayed for me. Now, I didn't wake up feeling super energy, nothing like that. But when she told me the next morning, we prayed for you, and I got some notes from some folks on my text, hey, Pastor, we prayed for you. Can I just tell you? You stiffen the spine a little bit. You know, you lift your head up a little bit because people come alongside you. I want that for you. If that's not happening for you, you can shoot me an email, and I'll give you four or five things you can do to open the door to make that happen. It's a combination of both you presenting yourself and people being there when you do. We'll help you do that. The last thing I want you to do is feel like you have to go through the valley alone. Five-plus years ago now, I went through one of the darkest days of my life. It was Father's Day, and I was walking into church, and I got a text on my phone as I was walking in that said, Mom just passed away. It was brutal. I didn't know what to do. I knew if I engaged it, I'd break down. So I stood on this stage, preached, never mentioned it. A couple people knew about it. But let me tell you what happened the next week. My mom's funeral is six hours from here. And I walked into that church, and there was about 34 corners people who drove six hours. Can I just tell you what that did for me? You know, uh, we're not a perfect church. But, man, I want the people I love to have friends like that in their life. This week, small group leaders sat with people who were in the hospital. This week, people gathered together and prayed for somebody going through a financial need. Just this week, somebody took somebody else out to dinner and had a hard conversation. At the end of it, they shook hands, hugged, and cried together and said, we're going to be great. I want that for every one of you, and I want that for everybody you have in your life. Number five, I need others to witness with me. John 13, 15. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another, a Lelon, that you have love one for another. They have to witness to me about God's goodness. Come on, Ben, you can do it. Keep going. Come on, Ben, it, don't, don't give up. Press through. I know it's hard. Yeah, you started strong, but it's always harder the second, third mile. So keep going. You're not at the goal yet. I need people to witness to me of God's faithfulness and God's goodness and remind me of what God's done. You do too, and the people you love need that. Imagine, moms and dads, if your teenage kids had some people around them saying, keep going, God hasn't forgotten you. Lean in with God, and I'm here with you, and how can I pray with you? And they witness to the great things of God in their life. And that's why even if it weren't as good a church as it is, I would make sure that my teenage kids were in church every week. Because I want people around them. Oh, they'll be imperfect people. They won't be. Oh, my kids will complain. They do. But I want people in their life saying, come on, think about God. As you think about life, don't think about life without thinking about God. As you think about dating, don't think about dating without thinking about God. Now, let me show you how he's already been faithful to you. Let me show you how you can depend on him. Let me show you some mistakes I've made as I discounted God. And let me show you how God still did something beautiful with my life. I need people in my life who witness to God because Life can be overwhelming. And the truth is, is one another is God's answer to fear. 
It's when people come alongside and say, let me tell you how good God is, how powerful God, God is, how much God has you in the palm of his hands, that it makes me willing to face whatever it is I'm hesitant to face. Sometimes I joke and I say, sometimes things are so sweet, I feel like I can grab a water pistol and charge the gates of hell. That's how I feel sometimes. Just because people come alongside and not one of them is perfect and none of them does it well. So I wonder, do you need any more Elelon in your life? If you do, here's your first step. You're probably going to have to offer a little bit of it, you know, give a little bit of Elelon, offer a little bit of it, and when you do it, it tends to come back. That's what happens when you give things to the Lord. He tends to take it, multiply it, and it comes back. That's what he does when you give an offering. That's what he does when, he give, when you give him your life. He takes it. It's hard sometimes, and he multiplies that impact and brings you a life bigger and more special than you ever dreamed. And I want every one of your neighbors, every one of your family members, everybody you work with to have that experience. I think some of that can happen right here in our church. So I want you to grab out your Connect card, and let's take a couple steps together. A ley line, one another. While you're getting that out, let me be crystal clear with you. I am grateful to have you in my life. My life is better because of you. It's better because of your kindness to me. And sometimes, to honestly, it's better because you haven't been so kind. You have put me on my face before God on my knees. You have humbled me with overwhelming feelings of gratitude and overwhelming feelings of fear. But it has been good for me. I want that for you. I want you to have some one another in your life. I want every man to know that there's a man who knows him by name, knows what's going on in his life and is regularly praying for him and isn't afraid to shoot a text and say, prayed for you today, bro. I want every woman to have a godly woman in her life that says, you can, because Christ in you is enough. I want that for you. I want that for the guests you bring. Don't withhold it from them. It begins really, though, by entrance into the family of God. So I'm going to give you a chance on your card next step A to say, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and my Lord. If you want to commit your life to Jesus and step into your spiritual family, you have to agree with what the Bible says about you, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that he was dead, that he's alive again. You put your trust in the work Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. And that is entrance into the family of God. I'd ask you to take your pen, check next step A, and do some business with God when I pray in a moment. I'll lead you in it. You can use your words or you can follow mine. Next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. This is when we celebrate that fresh entrance into the family. If you haven't been baptized, it's a special thing. No group of people I've ever been around will be more happy for you to celebrate your new beginnings in Christ. Now next step C says, I'll invite at least two people to join me for 4C Easter. Two services, 9, 15, and 11. Your kids will love it. Their kids will love it. Hey, meet me in the lobby. I'll be standing there at name of time, 9 o'clock. You walk them in. You show them where the bathrooms is. You make sure their kids get checked in. You come in here together. And the whole time they're here, you pray for me. God, don't let Ben mess up today. Today's special. My friend is here. Don't let a single note be wrong. Nothing that distracts from your good purpose. You need to invite some friends to church on occasion because when you have a friend sitting beside you, you pay attention to church differently. It's no longer about you. 
When you have a guest who needs Jesus, it's no longer about you in church. You don't care if it's your favorite song. You care if the song touched your friend's heart. Next step D. I'll go all in this week and study Hebrews 11. We mentioned Hebrews 11 because we put together a small devotional. We'll send it to you every day this week. So we're going to ask you to just read one chapter as you get your heart ready. Hebrews 11, roll call of faith. It's going to encourage you. Just check the box. We'll send you the link. You're going to love it. And the next step B says, I'd like to attend Grow. It's developing spiritual habits. Some of the stuff we're talking about today gets fleshed out in Grow. So if you'll check this box, we'll send you all about Grow, give you the link to sign up, let you be a part of it. Why don't you set your card aside right now and if you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to give back to God some of what he's blessed you with. Man, you've already done so much of that. I mean, so many of you brought groceries. Some of you forgot that you're going to. It's all good. But can I just tell you how excited I am? I mean, in some ways, Easter is the, the Super Bowl for the church, if you will. And because you've been faithful to pray for us, serve, you give, when Easter rolls around, we're going to be ready for him. There's a whole slew of things happening already in the life of the church. Some upgrades happening, kids' ministry this week. Some things have happened in the back office this week. We've been getting ready for Easter because you've been faithful, and there's some resources we can spend to look like we're ready for company. I just want to say thank you. It is not wasted. It will make a difference. On Easter Sunday, people's lives, some of them are going to be changed for eternity. Others who are already in a relationship with Jesus, they're going to grow. Some who have not been connected to a healthy church family are going to connect. And it is in part because God's grace is at work through your giving. Don't make a mistake. Every penny and dollar makes a difference. I don't think there's a better place to invest spiritually than here. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering right now. Father, thank you that you have created a spiritual family. God, I got to confess, sometimes I'm not a good family member. I'm not. But I pray, Father, that you would take this Alelon idea and you would bring it to life in our church. You would breathe new life into people who've given up on it, who've been hurt. Maybe I've disappointed them. Maybe they come to our church broken from some other experience. I pray, Father, that the enemy would not be successful and keeping them from experiencing all that you have for them. So I pray for healing. I pray for renewed vision. I pray for a soft and fresh heart. Holy Spirit, would you heal even now? Would you make room even now for the family of God in our hearts? And Lord, would you give us a hope? Would you give us focus to grow your family as you've called us to do? And Lord... I pray right now that you would take our next steps in our offering. You would take both of them and you would increase their impact. You would make them go farther than they would ever go on their own. That your power would be at work in our gifts and in our steps. And I lift up the men and women that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I commit my life to you. I want to follow you with all that I am. I pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.